Hey everyone, this is Scott with Leading Edge Archery's podcast. I think we're on episode six or seven now. I don't know. You I'm need to start track. keeping track of that. I know, I do, because every time I get online and I say this, and I have no clue where we're at. Or we so. can just stop saying that. Well, no, because it's kind of cool. People, so Keith actually complained about it, one of our staff shooters. He's like, you need to let us know what episode we're on. I already went online and renumbered all of them. Oh, did you? Yeah, this is seven. Okay, so Sound Guy did his job. Awesome. Awesome. So anyways, we're really excited. We've got our second guest um, since we've done this on today, and it is the wonderful Crystal Govan. And I'm excited to talk with her because she's going to give us some insight on how she went from being one of the top female compound archers on tour to now dabbling in the recurve area, which is, I think, hard as crap to do. Um, so uh, it's a testament to her uh, as an athlete and as a competitor and Bridgers told me some great stories about she is a fierce competitor, correct, Bridge? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's going to be fun to talk to her and find out what makes her tick. So without further ado, I guess, Crystal, you online with us right now? I'm here. Awesome. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. No, we're excited um, because I, we have a lot of female listeners and especially young kids, and we've got a lot of kids that also make transitions from you know, one discipline to the other. And I think they're going to get a kick out of hearing how you've handled that, you know, as a professional and what it takes and, and maybe even help some of these kids, maybe push them over the top. Cause I know, I know personally have a couple that really want to try compound and they're a hardline recurvers now. And this will give us some insight into that, I think. So other than that, why don't you talk a little bit about how you got into archery? I heard from bridge you used to be a really competitive swimmer correct? Yeah, we we talked scott and i talked a little <coughs> bit about you last night because he didn't know you very well and yeah. i've known i've known you crystal since uh would have been november 2013 when we really first met there at the the world cup in Mar uh, marrakesh right yeah yep yeah so um yeah it's kind of crazy story actually i grew up a competitive swimmer was on the national team competed in um australia um in high school had to kind of decide in college between academics and swimming and realized swimming wasn't a career um it's a little different now looking back um some people have made money with swimming obviously yeah. but um you know for me and where i was at uh it really made more sense for me to pursue academics so did that um played on an all guys water polo team in college just for something fun to do and keep my competitive juices flowing. Then went to grad school, gained a bunch of weight because grad school sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very, very stressful and you don't have any, any free time. And so then my husband and I bought bikes and started cycling and we're both very, very competitive. He was actually an all American rifle shooter in college. Um, second at NCAAs. So we quickly started, well, he started racing first, um, mountain bike discipline, and I had no technical skills, but I couldn't really stand by cheering him on for more than a couple races. So I started racing, even though I had no business racing. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's and awesome. And so we did that for a couple of years. But the biggest thing with, with a sport like cycling is no matter how good I got as a female there was no way I could be at his level and train with him. So we were doing the same training rides, you know, doing the same sport, but we never saw each other. So uh, we were looking, looking for another sport, um, something we could do together easier 
together together and he found this old hunting bow in in his parents basement when he was cleaning it out and challenged me not expecting this to be our sport but just challenged me because again we're both super competitive so challenged me to a bet like we were standing i don't know 10 yards away from just those little black uh block targets right you know i bet i can hit whatever on it more times than you can and i beat him the first time <laughs> so then he's like well best out of five and i beat him and this continued until he realized that i was kind of good at archery um once once i figured out how to draw the bow back i have to <laughs> clarify there that it did take probably a good half an hour i right. knew i had a lot of upper body strength um i was a butterflyer in swimming so i was trying to muscle the the bow back and i didn't know how to pull a bow back <laughs> There is a difference for those that haven't done it before. And so we went to a local range, got set up with equipment. We didn't know this, but the person helping us was a five-time Olympian, Butch, Butch Johnson. So he he took care of us and set us up right, um, right off the bat. My husband shot recurve, and I wanted to shoot compound. And the deal was, because they made fun of me telling me, no that you know training wheels you can't shoot a compound that's not for target archery that's for hunting and so they made a deal with me um there's they have these warm-up tournaments and if i won this tournament with this 15 year old hunting bow with who knows what on it um in the women's division then they would let me let me buy a compound <laughs> and i won by like 100 points um so needless to say they let me get one so my parents and my husband bought me a bow that year for christmas um and kind of took off from there yeah that's so, awesome so like the first year you shot uh <clears throat> shot like the usa archery stuff competitively that was 2013 right yes so i did Lan lancaster classic was my first real tournament um and i missed the i didn't understand about the cut and reading rules and all that um so thankfully i missed the cut by one or two spots because at that time you had to shoot six arrow ends um the first couple of matches and i only had five arrows with me oh. <laughs> and actually fun fact about bridger is i actually did meet bridger at that lancaster classic um i had shot because i had decided on like thursday night that I was going to drive up Friday morning. That was back when it was in Lancaster. Um, there was a 4 p.m. line, I think it was, and I had the day off work or something that I wasn't expecting, so I looked, and there were spots on that 4 o'clock line. So I decided the night before, sign up, and so Bridger actually shot near me. Um, and I didn't know who anyone was, but there was just, like, this nice young kid who seemed like he was really good. So. Oh, wow. That's the first time I've ever gotten a compliment on a first impression. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. That is cool. No, it's it's kind of crazy to think about, though. So, like, that was your first tournament, and then, what, so that tournament's in January. So 10 months later in November was your first world-level tournament at uh, Marrakesh, and I believe you beat Sarah Preels in a one-arrow shoot-off there. I did, in the semis, I believe. Or I thought you won in a – who did you shoot against in the gold medal match? Because I know you won that tournament. Yeah, Inga Van Caspel. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's... fun fact about um, the semifinal match against Sarah, and I 
believe it was either the match before or then the gold medal match. I can't remember which one, but we were still in set system for compound. Mm -hmm. And I was actually down one to five against Sarah. And like I said, it was either the match before that or the match after that. I can't remember. Um, and came back and tied it up five, five to bring it to a shoot off. Man, that's amazing. But it's, it's just crazy to think about. I mean, I know you now, so it's not that weird to me, but knowing like how, uh, competitive you are for you to excel that to go from not even making the cut at Lancaster and not even knowing the rules to excelling to the point where you're you won a indoor world cup against multiple women that were in the top you know t uh, 20 or 10 in the on the planet in the women's compound division to make that type of uh make that type of progress in 10 months is crazy to think about well that's what i was gonna <coughs> say that this is a great example and i've i have said this forever that you know, we as human beings should be looking at trying to find out what we what we're good at. I think God has given us an innate ability in something, and we got to go out and research it and find it and do as, as much as we can. And I think that you definitely found your niche because to, yeah. to go from where you started, it sounds like, to where you ended up in a very short time period is there's more at work there than just hard work. I think it's yeah. And unfortunately for us, Crystal, it's pulling a bow back and shooting a carbon stick. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I definitely agree 100% with what you're saying. And I tell people all the time, like, keep trying different things because, you know, it, it went back to my competitive nature that a lot of people, their husband bets them something and they're just going to, okay, whatever. Like, I have no interest in shooting a bow. I had zero interest in right. three or anything like that. I didn't know it was a sport. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> um, and growing up, I was that person. I played a million different sports, but I was always the person that worked my ass off. Yeah. But I didn't have, you know, I obviously had some, a little bit of natural talent or I wouldn't have gotten to the levels, but I didn't have near what even like my sister as a swimmer, I worked way harder than she did. Right. Um, and so it was always frustrating to me because it's like I'm working my butt off and I can never just get over that last little hurdle. And so archery was, was the first thing that I picked up and it was like, Easy. Okay, I'm yeah. good at this right off the bat. Right. <laughs> so add in hard work. Well, that hard work too, though, it pays off in dividends later because you you set yourself up to not be afraid of it and and taught yourself how to work your tail off to 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 compete and also the competitive you know drive that you have. You you put all that together and then find your niche. That's that's why you got so darn good so quick. Probably. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing because I you know yeah I was talking Bridger. I don't really know you, but. I have followed your career. I remember when watching YouTube videos of you in the on the women's national team on numerous occasions, and you came out of nowhere. I mean, one day you're there and one day you're not. It was crazy, um, which is awesome. Um, so you did that for what, two or three years, Laura? Yeah, it was just shy of three years. And then you decided, hey, you know what? This isn't cool anymore. I want to go get good at something <laughs> different. <laughs> uh, But I think ultimately, so growing up a swimmer as my primary sport, um, again, I've played a million different sports, but obviously the Olympics is, you know, front most in your mind as playing a sport like that. Right. That's really the ultimate goal. And one thing that swimming, for example, does really well that I think archery is missing the boat on is there was always that next step of like, okay, I qualified for 
districts, I qualified for regionals, I qualified for state, you know, nationals, whatever, all these different levels. And so there was Olympic qualifying times. And then, um, you know, obviously being top two got you to the Olympics. And again, a sport like swimming, it's very rare that you make that Olympic, you know, the percentage compared to the people doing it, it's it's so small. Oh, it's got to be less than 2%, probably. It's got to be tiny. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. And when I, so Michael Phelps is just a year behind me, and so I think seeing seeing his success and knowing we were around, you know that we were semi teammates or whatever you want to call it, um, at the same time. So you see that, and that's in the back of my head. And then what really got me is um, for the 2016 Olympics. I had been traveling, you know, going to these World Cups and World Championships with all these people making friends with different countries, and then I'm sitting at home while they're at the Olympics if they're, you know, on the recurve side. Not just U.S. shooters, but like I said, I have a lot of recurve friends from other countries. And so, to me, to be competing with these people all year and then suddenly something I've always been... The Olympics for me, I've just huge fan i can remember you know dressing up for career day or whatever in kindergarten you know as a figure skater that was in the olympics or whatever but i've just every olympic sport i just watched it all like i can never get enough of the olympics and 2016 i actually had a really really hard time i got super emotional and i couldn't i couldn't watch it um and that for me was the big you know okay i need to I need to do something about this because you can't live your life like that. No, um, agreed. And I think it goes back to kind of the stepping stones. And because I got good as fast as I did um, with compound, in a short amount of time, I felt like I had accomplished all the big things. You know, silver medal at both indoor and outdoor world championships. Um, you know, World Cup medals. Um, you know, all this different national records. Blah blah blah. And so, you know, people can always say, well, you could have had more wins or whatever. Um, but for me, it was like I had done pretty much what there was to do. There right. wasn't that mm-hmm. next step on the compound side. And so, yeah, then I decided to be crazy and go <laughs> to recruit. <laughs> yeah. So what's that transition been like? It's got to be extremely tough. You know, I, I shot Olympic recurve. I did it backwards. I shot it when I was a kid from when I was eight until I was 18. And then. Um, and then he up and switched. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I'm going to date myself. I'm 50-some years old. So back then, my dad let me shoot one of my first compounds. It was a Martin Cougar Magnum. I'll never forget. And uh, I'm a tech guy, tech junkie, mechanical engineer, so I love toys. I love things. Yeah. And when I seen the wheels and the cables and everything, it was over. I mean, yep. I've never looked back, and it kind of sucks because now – you know, I kind of did it backwards, and I, so I've always said that that recurve is the sport of ten thousand shots. I mean, it it takes a lot of effort, a lot of time behind the bow to become proficient. And when I say proficient, that's just proficient, not good. Um, you know, so what's that transition been been like for you? Because this is a huge difference. You're not picking it up and driving X's at fifty meters. You know, immediately. <laughs> so, interestingly enough, so when. When I talked about when my husband and I first went to the range and were getting set up with bows, I had actually tried a recurve at that time, and I hated it. Like, <laughs> absolutely hated it. And yeah. so 
I was going in, and I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with that either. Um, so I was going in with the mentality that um, the first, I was expecting the first year to be really, really hard, and I was expecting to not hit the bale at 70 meters. Like, that was, that was my expectations. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I had a three, three and a half year trajectory, so it was like, okay, well, the first year is going to be a crap show, and then I got to, you know, get things together quickly. So I knew I needed to get the form down and all that right away from the beginning because I didn't have time to waste. Um, so I went out to the training center before I shot a single arrow, worked um, with Coach Lee for a week um, one-on-one, and just learned the form with a light bow. And surprisingly, uh, it went better than I expected initially, <laughs> um, which which was good and bad. <laughs> Because I expected to then keep progressing <laughs> right. at the same rate that I was just progressing. <laughs> well, I mean, you say that, but you've had you've had a fair amount of success w- in comparison to other people that have either switched over from compound or just started with a recurve. The amount of success you've had, I mean, you've had a fair amount. I mean, you've made you made the world indoor world championship team. Uh, what was that? Two years ago. 2018 and then you also made or you've made a couple podiums at usats and a couple usa archery events correct yeah yep so i mean in comparison to others you're (laughs) you're doing quite well well well, plus you got you came into the sport when i mean i think i think what mckenzie and katuna and gosh i know casey wasn't really around when you came into it yeah casey wasn't there yet but but you had some pretty stout mm -hmm. competition on the women's side still there um and then the young ones that are kind of now taking over were starting to come into the adult um ranks so yeah it was again like i said i think what was interesting what was hard is i was doing better initially and then what was really interesting is so with compound um when i started compound that first year nationals was the last tournament of the year um it's a little different now Um, but I had all year, my goal had just been to make the top eight with compound because that's when you got your own target. And every time in the one eighth round, I had to face like the number one or number two seed. So Jamie, Erica, somebody like that. And I'd get knocked out and I'd never make that top eight. And last term of the year nationals, I ended up making top four, losing in the bronze medal match, but I got fourth. And so that was kind of the first big like oh i really can do I this can do and this, then yeah. morocco was my next tournament when i won um but recurve so recurve i struggled all year at the usats and then the last usat of the year was in texas that first year 2017 and aida roman was there um an olympian from mexico um, a couple other really good shooters from other countries and i ended up working my way again I tend to have uh, good luck with this. I had a couple one-arrow shoot-offs that I won and ended up making it to the bronze medal match. Again, I lost, but I made it there and finished fourth. So I came off that season with this feeling of, oh, this is going to be like compound. I've already, you know, it's kind of mirroring things. And and then I kind of hit a plateau. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I... I really, the set system, I I think it rewards 
the underdog, which to me has never been. I'm never a fan of systems like that. I yeah. always prefer something that rewards consistency and somebody who can perform better over the course. That's why I like more arrows, just like outdoor rounds, you know, 72 arrows versus a 15 arrow match. I just, I think the better archers are going to rise to the top over time. Right. So, um, well, you're, I you're, found... you're definitely not the only archer that doesn't like set systems. I know Brady has made it yeah. very <laughs> adamant that he is against them. I think four or five times he's lost with a greater score. Um, at, well, at that, at the, that's just like finals matches, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so personally, example, I think it's horrible, but so TV likes it more shoot offs and such. But yeah, yeah. One thing though that bothers me with just the way everything's done is, so I made the national team last year. So again, it was like I've started. Okay, things are moving in the right direction. I made top eight. I got to go to a World Cup, and then this season my scores improved. Um, I did. I performed better, um, but when you look at my results, I had a worse year in terms of, and I had a, um, I got third at nationals, and so, and shot significantly higher scores, but if mm -hmm. you look at the USAT ranking, I ended up finishing ninth, but what's really frustrating to me as a numbers person is I look through, and there's individuals that I outscored them in qualification all year, every single tournament, they didn't beat me at a single tournament and then when you talk um arrow average you know people can say well the longer you stay in your arrow average can fall so what i do is i compare round for round arrow averages so first match of the day second match of the day etc the same individual i had the higher arrow average every match of the year not one match not one round did they have a higher arrow average of me yet they're significantly higher in the USAT ranking. Um, and that's where I think recurve, there's a huge discrepancy that yeah. it doesn't really reward. And, and, you know, people can say, well, you got to win the match and I get that. Um, but I'm also, again, a numbers person. So I just, my brain naturally runs these kind of numbers and it, it can be pretty frustrating to oh, yeah. see what more can I do? <laughs> you know? Without a doubt. That stinks. Um, uh, Bridger and I have talked a lot about that set system and stuff, and I agree that it's definitely not perfect, but I think it's 100% made for TV. I mean, it's just the them 100%. trying to create, yeah, them trying to create drama. And yep. unfortunately, drama is what sells tickets. <laughs> um, but, hey, so I got a question. So when you, you want to take a step back and you had talked about working with Coach Lee, and, you know, if I, you don't mind me asking, what did you start out with when you went to recurve, poundage-wise? Because I think this is one of the bigger issues that I see with our young kids is they overbow themselves, especially on the recurve oh, side. Definitely. Yeah. Um, what did you start with? So I started, um, actually, the first two or three days was just a stretch band. And then I think I would have stayed longer on that, but obviously I was only there five days, so right. we had to kind of progress. Um, so we went to a light bow and... What I mean by that is um, Lancaster sells those kits where it comes with the arrow rest and yep. the bow and the limbs, kind of all right. the, the screw-in limbs. I don't know what the actual term is for them, but, um, you know, it's a 16-pound maybe, 14-pound. You know, I think it depends on the length of the bow and all that. Um, right. So I'm not entirely sure, but I actually really recommend 
getting something like that for someone switching, not just for starting, but it's a great tool that I use all the time. If there is a form thing I want to work on, just so I can use that maybe in front of a mirror or I have a hard time with stretch bands personally because you don't have the string angle on your face. Right. And that for me is a, is a big piece. So right. I really like the light bow idea. Um, so yeah, actually Rob from Lancaster um, helped set me up with, like I said, one of those kits um, with a light bow. So I started with that and then I believe my first set of limbs were tw for a, you know, a real bow I had, right. um, had some friends let me borrow all all sets all parts of equipment um but i think it was 24 or maybe 28 i can't remember gotcha i know i had 28 at one point i don't know if that was my first or my second set and then basically i just went in four pound increments in terms of limbs because as you know if you turn out the weight completely on one set of limbs and tur versus turning up another set of limbs there's about a four pound um difference in my experience so right. You don't need to have every increment of limb, right. every two pounds. You can do about every four. Right. Well, and, pl and plus, you, it challenges you too. I mean, when you go to four, you're, you're constantly putting your body under stress management, which is going to help you get that poundage up a lot quicker. Um, yeah. So I did SPT. So one thing that I talked to a lot of outgoing RAs um, that I was good friends with. And the one thing that they all had in common, they all said, do your SPTs and stick with them. You know, they all said, I do them for a couple weeks and then I quit. And that's the, my biggest regret. And each person said the same thing. So I knew that was critical. And up until um, last, last fall, I think it was. So for two straight years, I did SPTs five or six times hey, a day. Real quick, real quick, explain that acronym for the people listening. Oh, sorry. Uh, so Strength-specific training. Correct, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's it. Just wanted to make sure our listeners knew. So So basically what I would do is a hold drill. And so for people starting out, you can hold for 10 seconds, rest for 20. You always want to rest double the amount of time that you're holding the bow. Right. And you're holding it full draw. And I would do this when I watched a TV show or whatever. Um, so because it's very mind-numbing if <laughs> you just do it. <laughs> right. But I worked my way up. I think I ended up doing, at the end when I was doing full hour, it was about 40, 40 seconds, 45 seconds on, and then, you know, minute 20, minute and a half off. And I would just do that for an hour. And that really, really made a big difference, I think, uh, along with actually my butterfly muscles from, from swimming. <laughs> yeah, you're, that's got to help you a ton. <laughs> <laughs> so I shoot now more poundage than a lot of women, so I actually don't like to tell people my actual poundage because I don't want to give kids the wrong idea. Right. Um, I do think I'm kind of in a, like I said, a unique position, both from the work with SPTs, but also I've just always had a lot of upper body strength. That's just who I am as a person, and so I don't think... It's smart for most people to shoot what I shoot. Well, I mean, even when you shot compound, you were one of the few women that was shooting like 55 pounds or more, yeah? Yeah, I always shot just under 60. Yeah, so you shot the same, you, for all the USATs and world archery stuff, you shot the same poundage as most of the men. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for those of you who don't know, go Google Crystal sometime and uh, watch her on YouTube. She's a bulldog. You are a stout individual. There's no doubt about it. 
doesn't surprise me that you're up there. And that's a, but you know what? That's a big advantage. I mean, I believe uh, for a woman that can pull some poundage, you can you can get away with some things that a lot of people can't for, when it comes just to aero speed. You know. Yeah. The problem is my arms are so short. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> Join the club. I'm with you. So. Yeah, that, I'm pretty sure your draw length is longer than Scott's. You know what? Bite me. <laughs> I'm pretty. Yeah, I'm. I am not vertically blessed. My compound draw length is longer than my recurve draw length, which is not normal. So, <laughs> wow. Well, if you don't mind me asking, are you 26 and a half, 27? If I had to guess. Yeah, I'm like 26 yeah, and a half. That's what I figured. Compound, it was 27 and a 16. Wow. That's Forget awesome. that 16. That, oh, so it is longer than yours, Scott. It is longer than mine. You were right, bonehead. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. You know, that's some that's cool. That's some great information, and um, I'm glad you could share that with the with our listeners because I think it's real important. Because you, it was what I thought. Um, you definitely started up a lot lighter. Because one of the things that I struggle with these kids, they want to start at 30 pounds. I mean, it's no. just where, and I just keep trying to tell them you're not muscular. You're not. They're not developed from a muscular standpoint yet. Even growth plates. I mean, I know a lot about. I used to coach travel baseball, so kids dealing with kids in in, in high intensity sports. These kids just forget that they're kids, you know, and they're and I, I hate to say it, but they're watching people like you and Mackenzie and all the the great archers, and they want to get there. They want to get there today without putting in the work yesterday, and yeah. it's one of the things we deal with here, you know, a lot for yeah, sure. I do a lot of coaching, so I hear you on that one. And one thing to remember too is when you hear people talk about the poundage they shoot. So unlike compound. On the recurve side, you know, if somebody says they're shooting 40-pound limbs as a female, that could very well mean they're shooting 34, 36 yeah. pounds. Right. That's not Because they're drawing, right. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt. Yep, that's for sure. So how do you um, – so when you were shooting compound – I'm, I'm going to take a step back and go back to your compound days. Did you do most of your own bow work? Yeah, my husband and I did it all. Okay, so, gotcha. Um, we learned a lot on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> to do things um and then i actually ask everybody questions and i don't know if bridger remembers this or not but i would i mean that first lancaster i remember i was shooting in the practice range it was the practice range at that time was in the actual archery shop of lancaster upstairs and a bunch of people had just got back from a world cup I, i'm assuming it was neem um so brady was in there jake was in there rio was in there Bridger might have been in there, um, but, you know, these people, and again, I had no clue that these were the people of archery, and I remember I asked Jake, he had these little beads on his string, and I had no idea what they were, so I was asking him, and he told me they were speed, speed balls, and was explaining that, and, um, Back then, they also did a lot of seminars, um, so I actually went to every single seminar they offered, and I took like a notebook full of notes and I still have that <laughs> but Rio did a seminar Chuck Cooley did one on um, lenses um, on optics I remember those are the two that stick out but I asked all these people like nothing was a stupid question to me because I didn't know anything and I didn't again I didn't know these people were famous or special so <laughs> right um the finals venue was downstairs in the basement on Sunday and since I hadn't made you know the the cut I had nothing to do, so I took my cell phone and I videoed all these top shooters as they were shooting their finals matches. I was in the front row just taking video, and Emily, uh, now McCarthy, um, 
I ended up talking to her because she had got knocked out after the first round. And I was asking her questions like, oh, what is this on your fletching? Or why is this? And, um, you know, just chance, whoever it was, I was just trying to learn as much as I could. And I think that's one thing people get afraid to ask questions. Um, and the only way you're going to learn is by asking them. Well, yeah. one one thing that's important, I think you said before was, and then I think people lose this mentality a lot, is uh, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Mm-hmm. Like, I, th- there's a lot of simple stuff that's very important in archery that a lot of people either A, ignore, or B, don't know about. And it'll be something that sounds like or feels like a stupid question, but it really isn't. Because, yeah. ar- ar- I mean, archery is a lot of detailed stuff, but for the most part, it's, I mean, there's some really big things that people miss out on a lot. Yeah. And that are afraid, people are afraid to ask questions about. Yeah, mm-hmm. without doubt. Well, and for it, me, it's huge because I don't have with working full-time and doing archery, even on the compound side, um, I didn't have the time, like a lot of the guys and some of the girls had, to just shoot for eight hours a day. So I had to really minimize the time I spent playing as much as that's really important. So yeah. what I would do is, okay, I'm at a World Cup, and Rio said he tried X, Y, and Z, and it really made a difference. Well, so instead of me trying a million different things, I'm going to start with that thing that Rio said worked for him. Or maybe Bridger tried this, or Brayden, or whoever, you know, were on the trip with me. I would take pieces from what they all said. If there was a consensus, like, three out of four of them were doing something, then that was what I was going to bring home in the, the limited time I had. So I wasn't just chasing my tail in circles. Right, exactly. No, that's huge. So can you talk about real quick, I mean, if you could recall your compound setup, I mean, from a woman's standpoint, you know, what kind of bar weight do you use? What was your preferred rest, you know, your release, sight? Did you use a four-power lens, two-power? So, fun fact for anyone interested, um, on my website I actually keep an equipment list, and I actually probably need to update my recurve one. I don't think I've done that in a while, but I kept my latest um, my last compound setup is all on there, so if That's anyone cool. ever has any questions that they want to check it out. But basically, um, I I was someone who ran a lot more back weight. I know it's really popular to run tons of front weight now. I was never able to run a lot of front weight. I know on one bow in particular, the C4, when I was shooting that, I had three ounces on the front and 18 or 19 on the back. So wow. a really mm-hmm. back heavy. Um, but I worked my way up. With the hoists, when I shot those, I was able to shoot a little bit more front weight, so it was more like maybe seven ounces mm-hmm. uh, on the front. And then I ran, interestingly enough, my length of my front rod was not based on anything with shot performance. It was purely on how I loaded my arrow on the ground. So if it was too short or too long, <laughs> so like 31 and a half inch length, um, Elite Estremo, a doinker. Yeah. So they have like that front extension piece. So every stabilizer company, as I'm as I found, measures a little differently. So I can't say for sure, but it was definitely a little bit on the longer side. I would say for a female. Right. Uh, I, love I love it. Because <laughs> some people get way down in the weeds on that, and it's. Oh yeah. And you just said, "Hey, you know what? As long as I can load my arrow right, I'm good." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that is so cool. Uh, I love um, it. The stand shoot off release was my 
preferred release to compete with. Um, I found with the way that I anchored, which I got made fun of a lot by the boys of this one, um, my head flip as I came into anchor, um, or the ponytail flip as Steve Anderson thought I was doing for years, um, <laughs> makes it tough for me to shoot a back tension style in a tournament right. because it can misfire. So I would practice with one, but in terms of actually competing, and I really liked, um, I can't pronounce French, but it's like the La Attendu that uh, TJ Deloche um, created with the ARC system. It's hmm. very similar to an HBC um, oh, release. The, the hinge release that Arctech makes? Yeah, yep. So that was my preferred hinge. That's cool. Um, I shot a six power and kind of another funny story about equipment. Um, and this is going to give females probably a bad name with me saying this, but it, it kind of goes back to, again, I didn't have a lot of time to play. So when I first started... Um, Erica Jones actually um, had a website, and this is where I got the idea to list my equipment on mine. Um, but she had listed out her equipment. So my husband went on there, and basically we matched everything. So she shot um, a Sherlock site. She had a six-power lens, um, this size, you know, whatever. And we went through and just – because I was shooting – my first boy, bow was a Pro Comp Elite. So she was shooting a Hoyt. We figured, oh, our draw lengths were almost identical. That right. was the other piece. So he figured, okay, compared to, like, Jamie or somebody with a really long draw length, that she would – and obviously she was number one in the world, so she was kind of good. Yeah, um, just a little. <laughs> so he figured if we started there, it was a good place to start. And right. so that's basically – we just matched hers. And to be honest, to this day, besides for field, I've never really spent any time trying anything but a six-power lens. Um it's something that I always wanted to do, but it, it, it always got pushed to the back burner. Right, right, <laughs> so. right, right. Gotcha. So I want to talk about those stabilizers real quick. You're lightweight, so I'm assuming if you had that much, that less of weight on the front, you didn't really, you weren't a really hard puller, if I'm not mistaken. Or were you? Um, no, I pulled pretty hard. Did you really? Crystal, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. Like You have and had one of the fastest shots of anybody I've ever well, met in my entire life. It almost has to. If, with only like three to six ounces in the front, she's got to be getting that off pretty darn quick. And or um, extremely strong to hold that bow without weight if she's pulling you know, that hard. I think, it's, I think it's a combination of things. It was. I definitely had a fast shot, and it really came down to I never felt like I was somebody who could hold it perfectly still. Mm -hmm. um, oh, she so shot I, the float. Yeah. Yeah, I talked to people, and I I don't think I ever had the kind of sight picture that, that people do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just, I, I shot it. If it was there, if, you know, my shot was good, I just ripped it off. There was no, I'm going to sit here and make this look pretty. So <laughs> that wasn't happening. <laughs> well, I mean, come, coming back to recurve, awesome. how, how much of that did you how much of your recurve shot is influenced by like the way you shot your compound? I mean, are you still running like, I mean, most recurves run a little bit more forward weight. Are you still more back weight with that? It's com in comparison to other recurvers. You still, are you, do you have a pretty quick shot sequence like um, you did with your compound? 
So when I first started, no, I was very, very, very slow. In fact, um, my first Lancaster with the recurve, it was my first tournament. And when the clock, I was at full draw and the clock, when it switches to 30 seconds, switches to yellow. Well, I had never seen that before and I'm at full draw and I see the clock change. So I thought it was 10 seconds and I freaked out. Um, cause that just shows you, I had never seen that before in my life with compound. Um, I was always long gone when it got down to 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, so I started very slow and a lot of that for me was, um, the NTS system has a lot of steps and I was so to me to go through every step took a lot of time. It wasn't cause it wasn't natural or second nature. It was, you know, this and then this and then this, and it was one thing after another and, um, then I kind of switched, I watched a lot of videos again, kind of like the compound side. Um, and at that, so when I started recurve, I also had a very heavy, coming from compound, I had a very heavy setup in terms of stabilizer weight. I wouldn't say, it probably was a little bit more back, oh yeah, because I didn't use an extension to start. So yes, it was definitely more back heavy than most uh, recurves. Then I kind of went the whole complete opposite extreme and tried to shoot more Korean, which is they tend to shoot very fast. There's, if you watched them, you would think they weren't aiming. They um, are. They shoot like insanely fast. They never stop. They never like, anchor. Like it's almost like they never anchor. The bow yeah. never stops. Nothing. And like all their weight is all in the front. Their back bars only come back to like the grip on the bow. Yeah, and they have like the women have very little, if any, weight on their back rod. Yeah. Um, and like two ounces or something on the front. So I, I went that extreme and I've definitely come back more um, with a heavier setup. I still have the extension on, um, but my mass weight is probably on the heavier side for, for a lot of women still. Mm -hmm. um, but my, so my shot's faster, but there's definitely people who can shoot a recurve faster than I can. Um, it, it's very different. I feel like I actually have to aim a recurve a little bit more than I had to aim a compound, which is probably totally opposite of what everybody hears and thinks. Um, but it goes back to with compound, I was able to, I was, I could kind of muscle it, I guess is the best way to put it, mm -hmm. that I knew I was holding it, you know, say generally in the nine ring or whatever. Um, whereas recurve, um, I feel like if I don't actively aim, I'll, I'll, I'll say, I'll use those words, um, they, it's easy to shoot a six. Sure. You know, or especially, so another thing, I never really aimed off unless it was crazy windy with a compound, I would bubble off. And you can't do that with recurve. So we're always, again, at a short draw length, I'm aiming off if it's like a breath of wind. Um, so... It's definitely to me a lot more aiming focused actually on the recurve side. Gotcha. No, that's that makes total sense. Um, so I'm gonna ask you a crazy crazy question. Which do you prefer? Or do you? <laughs> um from a competition standpoint, compound hands down. Okay. Um I do like so you know, I, I say I miss compound and I talk about how I was dumb making the switch and whatever <laughs> um, I do like shooting recurve I like the challenge um, but I will tell you last winter I decided 
randomly I was just gonna shoot I was so frustrated I was in a bad place mentally so I decided to shoot compound for Vegas I practiced like three times before I went there um but the minute I picked up that compound and I hadn't touched it in over a year and a half so uh-huh. not a single arrow out of a compound because I didn't want to mess mess up for my recurve side yeah. um but that first arrow out of the bow, it was like coming home. And <laughs> and I joke about it, but like my husband even saw it. He said it just was natural. He said right. it was still your shot was there. It looked like you again. And so I do enjoy recurve, but it never feels natural. And and again, I get like recurves harder and whatever. But I think going back to like God gives you certain talents, um, I definitely think my body was not made for recurve. Like I can force things and I can fight and train hard. Um, but there's a lot of factors I have working against me from just a body standpoint. Um, well, I think you said it best. And I, I'm a firm believer that, um, you can muscle a compound bow. I mean, you can move it around, make it do things that it's probably not really designed to. I mean, a lot of people will sit there and watch the other day I was shooting and one of the girls made a comment. She's like, you know, you put English on that arrow because because when that pin went off, it wasn't where it was supposed to be. And I was throwing that arrow up yeah. where it needed to go. And honestly, I believe that from looking back at my days on recurve and I coach a lot of recurve students now is that recurve is more of a finesse sport. It's not it's not where you can't go in and overpower that bow. Um, things happen drastically faster with the recurve and you try to muscle one up. It's usually disastrous results. Um, that's just my opinion. And, I, and so it makes sense that you would feel, I think you feel that way, you know, from my, from my standpoint, but so let me ask you a question, the tough one, are you, uh, ever going back to compound? Is it in your long-term plans? Yeah. So from the beginning, my husband and I made the agreement that, um, this would be a one Olympic cycle type thing just gotcha. from a financial standpoint and a time standpoint. Recurve takes, as people know, a lot more training time mm-hmm. um so again not to say that i didn't train with the compound because i think that's one thing that that did set me apart compared to at least you know four years ago or whatever i think i trained a lot more than a lot of women did um but recurve i can't so with compound i could take a weekend and you know my husband and i could go visit friends or family or whatever for the weekend. And I didn't have to worry about bringing my bow. Now that's not the case. If I take two days in a row off, it's definitely, I've lost ground. Right. Well, you're probably, aren't you, um, what am I going to say here? But you, you, you having that innate ability and compound and then the work that is required with the recurve. Um, it's just like night and day. I mean, it's so much harder. And well, and I tell you, I know where I was going to go with this. You also, you, you, you're you working full-time, regular job. I mean, you, a lot of the women you shoot against, I don't think are doing that, correct? Correct. <laughs> I mean, they're shooting full-time. That's their job. Exactly. So you are putting yourself behind the eight ball big time, and props to you for, uh, I think, for getting wor- as far as you have. And, you know, I think a couple of things fall the right way. You're, you're going to reach your goals and, and come back home to the compound. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, something I actually recently realized, just from a mental standpoint, I was talking to a couple friends, and I realized one of it's actually in terms of training, um, total hours. One of the biggest hard parts for me on the recurve side is because archery is so static, and I don't want to say it's not a sport, but it's not. You know, you're not getting your cardio in for the day or whatever. Right, and right. 
I'm someone who really needs to work out to feel good. Um, and so I'm at a point with recurve where, okay, I can go to the gym for a half an hour versus I was an endurance athlete always. So I'm used to two hour workouts. An hour is a short workout. And so, okay, I have a half an hour. It's not a lot of time or even not only only having a half an hour there's times where it's okay i could get an extra 50 arrows in or 75 arrows in or i could go to the gym well work ran late today so i'm not going to get my arrow count in that i wanted so i need to stick here and shoot arrows instead of going to the gym and so i think that's that's the piece it's not just the shooting arrows it's every other sport i've played you're getting your cardio in by doing the sport correct Mm -hmm. yeah you know fun fact we've got uh mr deaton in the gym for the last three weeks actually maybe 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 a a month month. yeah about a month month and a half and uh i jason and i've been training jason preparing him for the u.s paralympics that are coming up in tokyo and so Jason and I have been hitting it pretty hard for a couple of months, and we finally got, got Deaton out there with us. And I tell you, it's, it's kind of cool because I think Bridger and I talked about this when he first moved down here to Texas in August. And, you know, he was looking at the amount of time I spend in the gym. You know, at 50, I've got to do a lot more than the normal person. And But I do for a variety of reasons, and I go at it pretty hard. And I think my shooting was funny. He watched me go through this process where my shooting suffered. I mean, I got really bad three months ago. And I got so bad I quit for like 10 weeks. I didn't pick up a bow. And, um, and but it was all mental. I needed a, a mental disconnect. Um, period. I'd been shooting a lot and hitting the gym really hard. Just cut out of elk season and working my tail off for thirty thirty days in the mountain. So talking with Bridger, he's like, "Man, you know, you're working out too much. You're always sore. Your body's never recovering. That's why you can't hold with the crap." And I knew it was mental. And uh, we talked G- Bridger into doing it. So it's kind of cool to hear you. And I wanted to, you maybe to speak to that a little bit. Because Bridger, and he finally has been admitting it to us, he feels better. I mean, he's been hitting it hard at the gym. This morning, he was an animal. And me and Jason were sitting there watching him thinking, what, Jay? I, I had no idea who was who, who was there we, with us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, for real. It was funny, too. I'm going to tell a little bit about Bridger with his body. But, like, if this guy would literally go hard at the gym, he would look like a bodybuilder. He's got a physique. It's pretty yeah, impressive. I, I actually my mom was a bodybuilder when I was oh, little. Oh, cool. So I grew up in the gym, you know, lifting pretty early. and um, So So you don't think there is a negative impact to your shooting with that? Because some people do. There's a, there's a, there are, I think there are two schools of thought on that one. Losing flexibility, losing your, you know, your, 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 your stretchiness that you have in your arm, like in your form and stuff. And I disagree with that. But Yeah, generally I say no, but I do think with recurve there's uh, – at the, how do I say it? Like a balance, and yeah, because certain muscles are already getting overworked per se. Correct. Um, if you have, you know, you can't go shoot a 400 arrow count day and then work those same muscles and, no. and think you're smart. So, right, right. You know, but definitely lower body core. Um, obviously, all the other muscles in your arms and chest that you aren't using shooting. Um, well, yeah, so, and doesn't and doesn't better. So you as an athlete. Um, with your background, as you've told us, they're also, you've probably got to go out and work your tail off cardio or in the gym. And that's got to be a big mental pickup for you. Just psyche. Oh yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Because I mean, athletes that work like you do, you know, I was a wrestler in college, so I totally get it. It's, uh, that's why I do what I do now. Even at 50, I work out extremely hard because I don't know any other way to do it. And it makes me feel good 
whether I'm sore or not. I just it helps the mental game part of part of what I do. And that's the hard part now with with trying to work full time, trying to shoot enough arrows. That's that's definitely the piece that's suffering. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't imagine that, but that's that's awesome. Um, yeah. So when it, when you get done with this Olympic year, I mean, so this is the year, correct? Yes. So how many more? Um, I guess you got what three qualifiers left this year? So we have two more. So two more. We're halfway. Well, we're halfway through stage wise. So there's four stages. We've done two, but points wise, we're not even. Maybe we're a quarter ish. I'm not really sure. It gets more and more points the further along we go. So April will be when we cut to eight. Gotcha. And then May is when the top three, which right now we only have a single spot, so for both God. men and women. So those three will need to go to Berlin and try to qualify a team. Right. So how where are you sitting right now? Are you comfortable with where you're at? Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, after the first stage, I was in third, and um, that's I actually shot a personal best at that tournament and was feeling not happy, but I was – content with where I was um and then Texas I actually I fell to fifth after qualification and then we had some round robins and this is where had a little bit of bad luck and ended up losing pretty much every match (laughs) so I've fallen to 10th um at this point but I was reminded by a couple people after um the fact of how much really, how many points really are still left. Um, in the last trials, I think one of the McLaughlin twins, I believe, was in 15th or 16th, and he ended up finishing as the alternate. Mm-hmm. And the, the other twin was in, like, third and finished 10th or 11th. Um, so I think this next stage is really going to be the crucial one. I think almost right now it's a placeholder. It's really, you just needed to be top 16 to make the cut, and that, you know, besides that, it doesn't really matter. Um, so I'm, I'm really trying. I'm not doing this indoor season. I'm not doing Lancaster. I'm not doing indoor nationals. I'm not doing a lot of things so I can spend some time at the training center, um, shooting outdoors, shooting right. 70 meters, shooting with other people. Um, Cause I think that's a, a big problem I have shooting alone every day. Um, it's hard to get the intensity level. I'm someone who really needs high pressure, high intensity, like the shoot offs. <laughs> I, yep. do, I do better the more pressure I'm under. So um, it's hard for me to, to match that shooting alone. So. Yeah, so that is hard to duplicate solo. That's for darn sure. Yeah. I mean, coming from a, like a high intensity sports background, do you think like that kind of plays into how you train now with recurve or is that more of just mentality or kind of a combination of both? Because um, I mean, sure. Well, I mean, okay, so you were a swimmer, and then you did the the uh, cycling deal. When you were a swimmer, I mean, you were always doing team practices, right? Oh, yeah. For the most yeah. part. I mean, there was always somebody else you were training with. Do you yeah. think that plays into why you excel more when you train with somebody else? Um, I think so. And I, like I said, I think it just comes down to I've always been that person who, who performs better under pressure. So, mm-hmm. You know, even on compound, as you know, Bridger, I shot higher scores in tournaments than I did in practice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's awesome, by the way. That's cool. Well, yeah, a horrible problem to have, right? Yeah. Confidence that way. So people yeah. always mm-hmm. say, like, how great it is. And, and on paper, yes, it's great until you're that person who everybody and their mother shot above a 700, and you're like, 
in practice, I'll say, and you're thinking, well, I've never done it. I don't know that I can do it. They know they can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just go from a 696 to a 705. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Well, so it sounds like, and I'm going to go out on a limb, but with your husband, you guys, it sounds like are pretty hyper competitive just with what you do daily. Am I correct? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Fun fact. Who wins? Depends on what we're doing. Really? <laughs> so, so the funny thing is, he he likes to joke that he has no goals and he doesn't like to train. So, <laughs> the, the not like the train part, I kind of added, but he always jokes that he has no goals, and so he's super competitive. And um, so, if it's like I don't know, just everyday things, he tends to win because he's just naturally like good at everything. Right. Whereas again, I'm the I'll win out of hard work. <laughs> Um, but it's funny cause growing up, like playing games with my family always ended in a disaster that I finally just pretty much removed myself from any family game night. Or <laughs> right. So you were the type that like flipped the table. Yeah. Did you flip? You're the, flip the table playing Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> Blood and guts. I love she it. She never said no. She didn't say no. <laughs> Crystal, I'm. I'm going to I'm going to flip it around just a little bit and uh I've heard you talk about mental and stuff like that. Just wanted to touch up on your uh your tournament preparation, uh how you used to prepare for a tournament shooting compound, how you prepare for one shooting uh recurve, you know, was your arrow count on the compound side just as high as it is on the recurve side now? Because, uh, you know, we've got a lot of people that come out here and they want to shoot a thousand arrows on a compound and thinking that that's going to get them where they need to be. Um just yeah, from your I, I point. don't think I don't think high volume is as important with um, compound because you have ways. I'll I'll say ways to cheat. Like I like to tell my students because archery, whether it's recurve or compound, it's about doing the same thing every single time. Like if you do the same thing wrong every single time, it's still the same thing and it's going to hit in the same spot. Um, but compound lets you cheat in the sense that there's a peep sight, there's all these other checks that you can line up. So can keep things from being wrong um and you're only holding 19 20 21 pounds at full draw um so it's not like a recurve where you're you're having to maintain that weight at the back end um so my arrow count was definitely lower but i wouldn't say it was low um so i would say so i it's hard to say an average because i definitely do a lot of Again, growing up in other sports, I do a lot of periodization. I do cycling um, with my training. So there's high day, low days, high weeks, low weeks. Um, There's no real, you know, I could throw out an average number, but it doesn't really mean anything. Um, It's just, it's just that an average. Um, So in one week, I may have a day that I only shoot 50 arrows and I may have a day that I shoot 375 arrows. So you know, that average may be 200-something, but it's not a real average um, in the sense of that's what a day-to-day looks like. Um, but but compound, I think, from in my opinion, it's more the little things. So kind of what we talked about, like with your equipment or making those fine-tuned adjustments, figuring those things out for you. Because um, I can tell you firsthand that, especially when I switched bow manufacturers, I found this you know, doing everything the same way I had been doing it, I was shooting, say, you know, a, a baseball-sized group at 50 meters. And so 
like, okay, this is all right, but it's not great. And one little change and suddenly I'm shooting, you know, a quarter size group. And so I think that's one huge piece. I don't think people spend enough time truly, I don't want to use the word tuning their equipment because I think people take tuning too far. Um, yeah. But it's, it's playing with the little things and making, um, I like to say you want to, you want to make your, your average shot hit the middle. So you want to minimize the, the big issues. So mm -hmm. if you shoot a perfect shot, it's going to go in the middle. Like, you know, people spend all this time with hooter shooters and whatever. And, the, and that's great if you have millions of hours, but for the average person who doesn't have a lot of time, um, I think the important thing is to remember you're not shooting a perfect shot all the time. Are you shooting a perfect shot half the time? Probably not. So you want to, you want to dial things in for your shots, your normal, um, whatever that may be. Like you want to, you want to tune the bow to, to the 80 percenter as what I always say. Yeah. 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 So, <clears throat> you know, that brings me to a good question. And this is going to be a tough one. I, I hesitate to even ask this question, but, and I'm not going to share my thoughts because it'll be a, another soapbox we'll get on for hours. <laughs> Um, you know, you're a coach, it sounds like, and you coach a lot of people. Um, when you are looking at coaching these young people now, um, how much do you, uh, do you, do you do NTS a hundred thousand, a hundred percent? No. Thank God. I like, <laughs> I like you more now. <laughs> I, I would, I started there. That's what I will say. I started there. I'm a level four NTS coach because um, there was a, a women's grant offered um, last year that I was able to take advantage of. Um, but from a coaching perspective, I feel very strongly that there are things that work and don't work for every individual, and there's no one way fits all. Thank um, God. Whether you're talking recurve or compound. Well, yeah. So would you use NTS as a foundation to start off with and then kind of tweak it to the individual? It honestly depends on the archer. I have some who come to me who specifically want NTS. So in that case, I will. Um, and I have others who come to me and say they don't care or they actually don't want NTS. Um, and honestly, for the younger ones, a lot of times it's the parents driving it. It's not even well, and it's do, yeah. And what's sad is it's because of the dang internet. And we had a yeah. we're going to be releasing an episode talking about this very subject, the internet, and how damning it is. But it's also so helpful. You know, there's two. It's a two way street. And you said it best. The parents have these these uh, these visions of grandeur and what you know they're trying to find the next Casey Caulfield. They want their kid to be the next Brady Ellison, and it is nauseating the amount of information they will they will read and force upon, try to force upon coaches. And what's scary, you know, and I'm not going to discount, I mean, you being a level four is amazing. I think you've got the, the, the credibility to back it. But uh, the USA Archery um, certification system is, is put, in my opinion, too much power in people's hands that literally have no clue what they're doing. But yet they're level two, they're level two, level, level three certified. And I know a couple personally that, charge $90 an hour to coach and they literally couldn't shoot a stick bow from Walmart. Yep. And Gosh. it makes me crazy. I mean, as an old school archer, been around for 40 some years, it, it makes me crazy. Yep. And 
I'm just glad to hear that you've adopted that approach because I think that the human body, you know, what's funny, and you know, in in my own infantile world and, and knowledge that I the knowledge base that I have, I have I'm blessed that I've got my best friend's wife is a sports um, physical therapist with a specialty in sports medicine. She's oh, amazing. Yeah, and and her and I have broken down the NTS together, and she just laughs. She's like, "Who wrote this?" Because they have no unearthly idea what they were doing when they wrote it. Um, it's going to cause more harm than help. I mean, she broke the whole thing down and explained physiologically why the human body was not designed to do what NTS teaches. As somebody who just did their level two, there yeah. was a, a deal in there that said, always stretch before shooting. Yeah. Which, Crystal, you were a high-level athlete, like an actual high-level athlete, <laughs> not not just an archer. Like... How often did you take and like stretch to the absolute max in a static stretch before you competed or yeah. did a workout or anything? Never. Never. Mm -hmm. No. But you know what's funny though? That's written because back now my age, I'll age myself, but back in the 80s when I wrestled in college, we stretched 30 to 45 minutes, okay. hard line stretch before we went to the gym or before we hit the mats. Yep. And, and heaven help us that we made it through that because now. Like, I'm a runner. I love to run. So I go out and literally go and run three to five miles, and then I stretch after. And I, yep. but, and I work myself into that mileage instead of going out at full bore, you know, right out of Jump Street. So the so many things have changed, and I've been a, saying this for years. The NTS was written in the 50s and 60s by some archaic guys that, yeah, it was the way to do it, but it's not been updated. And, uh, you know, the human body, like I said, we, we aren't, you know, we all do things different. I use golf as an example. You know, and you look at Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player, two of the best golfers that probably ever played the game. You would never model their swing on a young golfer. Yeah. But they learned how to swing and make that work within their own, the confines of their body, and you can't argue with the results. You know, when you look at even archers today, I've, I got into a massive argument with a guy at Outdoor Nationals. And I'm not going to sit there and say who it is. Jason's already sitting back in his chair laughing, you know, because because you've gotten this huge, humongous argument. I mean, I hate to say it. He's been in archery. I've, I've forgotten more than he knows. And I never pulled that card. I walked away because it was a very bad argument. But, you know, about Brady's shot and why he's so great. I mean, Brady could shoot upside down with his pinky toe and he's still going to beat 90 percent of the people out there because God has given him that ability. Um, NTS. Oh, my God. Don't get me started. But anyways, I, that is so cool to hear you say that. And I want I really wanted our listeners to hear that because it is something that we battle as a coach. I battle as a coach a lot because they want to be cookie cuttered into that process. Did you see, by the way, did you see the video that came out from the Korean coach? I don't know if you've seen it. It was just out like two weeks ago. And they have a three-step process. I think it was draw, anchor, shoot. <laughs> I mean, it was well, that easy. I actually, so when I was talking about switching, like, to a more Korean, um, you know, my first, after like six months, um, that's actually, my husband found Coach Kim, um, when he was shooting recurve, that was kind of like his dream to go, Coach Kim actually has a training center in Korea, and it's, for what it is, like for a world-class coach that he is, uh -huh. it's super Simple. inexpensive. Oh, like, is it really? Where, where is it? Like, if you were told that you would laugh at the, like, it's something stupid. I don't even remember now. I mean, it's still expensive, but, like, if you were thinking any other sport or if this was, you know, talking about that level two coach charging $90, like, this breaks out to nothing compared to that. So, anyways, he told me, you know, check out, he has some videos. So, I was watching some of those, and 
I actually share this with a lot of people on these videos I found on YouTube. He was in some guy in in Europe um, in his house, and this guy videoed these, and they're like seven, eight minutes long. There's seven or eight of them. They're really cheesy, um, but that's basically in these. He's like one, two, three. There's three yes, steps. Yes, three steps. Me. Yeah. And for me, that so in compound, Bridger can attest to this too. Like, I shot my best when I was like singing to the music. Apparently, dancing on the line. <laughs> I love it. Um, but I was just not thinking. And that's for me, with Recurve, it was so much thinking. Right. That I was mentally exhausted after shooting 50 arrows. Um, and so that was a big piece for me for initially making that switch. And so going through those videos and seeing that, um, it was really eye-opening for me. Now, again, I've kind of ended up somewhere somewhere in the middle of things um, just because I've, again, my body type isn't <laughs> isn't designed necessarily the right. best for certain things. Um, but that takes me to, I tell all of my students or, or people that talk to me about these things is look at, you know, there's a million YouTube videos of top shooters. Pick somebody who looks, I don't mean like, looks like you and oh that person like facial features or whatever like if you know you have a really long so the big the big differences in recurve or in archery that i tell people whether it's compound or recurve look at the length of the shoulder to the elbow versus the elbow to the wrist and that will give you a good idea of whether when you're at anchor you're going to have a really high elbow or more of a flat elbow you know certain things people say you have to do this or that well, some people you physically can't because this bone is longer than that Correct. bone, vice versa. Yes. So find someone who, whatever, everybody's got, you know, an issue that's not perfect. Not everybody, everybody has something that makes them not have the perfect archery body. So find find a top shooter that has that same feature that you have. Um, maybe it's a really angular face. And so, like, a lot of the Koreans, you notice, have a very flat face. And mm-hmm. so they can anchor differently than someone like me with a very angular jaw. Right. Um, so you find somebody with an angular jaw and draw, jaw, and you watch videos and see, okay, how are they anchoring? Um, things like that. So that's – I think there's somebody out there for everybody. Um, and that's that's the key, though, is not – trying to fit into somebody who you're not right. and your body can't because there's a lot of things our body physically can't do depending on x y or z i mean i can never shoot bridger's pee pipe because he's got like a super short face and he can't <laughs> shoot 100 yards at bigfoot <laughs> that's a lie Braden has had to use my bow to shoot bigfoot before oh really so, so brayden's got a short face too then no i just you do have a short face look at your face it's my pee pipe is incredibly short. And what like, is it? What I is it? Like five and a quarter? Oh, pfft. it's three and a half at full draw. Are you being serious? Dead serious. I'm five and a quarter. <laughs> three and a half at full draw. Yeah, bro. Like watching you, sh- watching her shoot my bow is hilarious. She's like clear Just up on the side of her, her head face like, in. <laughs> well, and for me, I'm like anchoring down on my collarbone to shoot your compounds crystal. <laughs> that is. But yeah, no, exactly what you're saying. Like everybody's so like small differences make a huge difference especially on setup form setup uh anchor point yeah. bow arm all that stuff now that i think there's like big 
like giant things as far as like your fixed shoulder alignment or hip alignment and that kind of stuff is can be all pretty linear between do you everybody. Know, but do, you, do you know that there was, and I forget, and I was going to copy and paste this and I forgot. Um, somebody had posted something about archery and how we are actually doing it wrong from a physicality standpoint while we get so many shoulder injuries. Do you realize that the spatial distance between the top of your your rotator cuff, there is a reason why almost all beginning archers want to hike that shoulder up and get get their shoulder up in the air. We are physically designed to do that. We're not designed to hold a flat shoulder at full draw. Yep. It is yep. it is almost virtually impossible. So what it's doing a lot of well matter of fact, I think Jeremy's got it or somebody I was just talking to had a bone spur issue. Mm-hmm. So what happens is an archer and you are probably gonna get it. I imagine everybody will at some point in their career, but by us dropping and holding that shoulder flat in that slot, we're getting bone on bone contact on top of the shoulder on the uh, cuff, and that's what's causing bone spur issues. Um, you're actually the human body designed to have an elevated shoulder at full draw to be comfortable and to do it right physicality wise. Isn't that crazy? Because we coach completely different on Sweet. that one. I'm going to go practice that. <laughs> I'm not saying to do <laughs> that. Stick no, your shoulder just going to get really good at and it. I, I think that's one thing that separates us from other sports because you look at, I mean, that's the benefit of archery is you can have every different type of body and, and still be successful. But I think that's every other sport. There's a typical body type. Um, now, that's not to say you have to be that to be successful, but say 80% of pick whatever sport is going right. to be a similar body type. Yes. And so people are used to, like, there's one way to do it. This mm-hmm. is the, the normal way. And I right. think that's that's what separates us, good and bad, um, is how different everybody is. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny. When I was reading that little article in that picture they had, Bridge, and I was thinking about you because, you know, getting in the gym and building the muscle structure around that shoulder there is going to help alleviate that as a problem, I think, moving forward because you're going to have the strength to keep that – so somewhat keep that uh, – that, sh- that rotator cuff still open and not bone letting the bones crash. I'm assuming you're talking about the archery strong guy. I can't remember. I have no idea. I just need it. If it is the way feet. he teaches to draw a compound bow is the number one way to blow your rotator blow cuff your out shoulder. on your, yeah. on your no, I don't, I don't by the way. what it was. It was just a picture but they had drawn <laughs> up. And it was interesting reading, let's put it that way. But anyways, um, well, that's cool. Uh, other than that, so I got a question about the – you, what do you do for fun? I mean, just not talk about archery, but how do you decompress? Um, well, that's archery kind of started as that. I was in a really <laughs> stressed job um, that I hated and was miserable. So archery was that until I decided to do recurve and all this other crazy stuff and go around the world. <laughs> until um, archery turned into that. <laughs> to jo- yeah. <laughs> um, but I, so my husband and I hike up in new hampshire there's um the white mountains and there's 48 4,000 footers and so for anyone on the west coast they're like oh 4,000 footer is nothing but that's starting from sea level so yeah that's a lot <laughs> legit um and so we've done i think we're right around halfway we've done about 24 of them now. oh so you're going to try to do all 48 of them yeah that's yeah, cool it's like a special patch and everything if you do them all um and then we actually, just over Christmas break, um, he grew up skiing, and I'm terrified of heights and terrified of speed and being not in control, so he thought it'd be a bright idea to take me skiing. Oh, God. Um, so I have attempted that. I, I really enjoy the cross-country skiing. That is gotcha. fun. It's a nice workout. Um, the downhill, yeah, we'll just leave it at uh, 
I survived. I didn't break any bones. <laughs> no knee uh, problems. That's a good thing. So, well, I already have bad knees. So. Oh, yeah. So that's not a good sport for you then. <laughs> you need to back up on that one. Um, can I ask you a question? Do you, do you, have you ever taken your archery into hunting? Um, yes. Um, so we haven't – the last year we lost where we hunt, the, like our place to hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't get to go this past year. But, yeah, I enjoy hunting. I grew up – actually, my dad was a hunter. I just never had the time because if you – probably picked up by now i'm kind of crazy and do a million things at yeah once you, and you have no schedule yeah. <laughs> um so i've always been that way i was a member of like every single club in high school so the whole like go sit in the woods for even an hour um with my dad to go hunting that was not an option um, right but so if i'm not mistaken jason you said crystal you are originally from ohio yeah where at yep. Outside of Cleveland, Akron, but in the country. Because I'm from Dayton, Ohio, originally. Oh, okay. I am. Yeah. So I went to school with Xavier, and then, um, so, nice rivalry there. Yeah, um, no kidding. <laughs> but, so, Medina, Worcester Medina, area. yeah, Medina, yeah. Yep. Worcester, that's cool. I used to wrestle a ton of kids from up in the Cleveland area, of course, so. Uh-huh. Sport of choice back in the day. That's awesome. Um, so, I'm going to give you some advice. Okay. You need to go try elk hunting. And I'm, I'm like, I'm going to tell you why. I'm a huge elk no, junkie. Well, no, because I, your mentality you have, just talking with you this last hour, um, the amount of work you put into your craft, um, you definitely have a no-quit attitude. Um, I guide a lot every year, elk hunters. You would be phenomenal on the mountain because it is a ne- do-or-die, never-quit. It is a mentally tasking sport that um, – that is extremely hard on the body and the mind. But it's why I work out the way I work out. It's yeah. why I do what I do at this age because the Elk Mountain is relentless. And if you like climbing mountains, it sounds like you're going to try to do 48 of them. And 4,000 feet elevation is a typical day for us elk hunting. Um, you would totally kill it up there and enjoy it, I think. You oh, need it's definitely on – my husband and I, it's definitely on our list. Yeah. If you ever – seriously, if you ever want to go – we need to talk sometime after the show because I would love to take you sometime. I mean, you would. Um, Bridger's going to go for the first time here next year with me, and uh, I just just talking with you, like I said, and listening to you, you would be an absolute animal on the mountain. I think it'd be cool, cool, cool. And plus, it eats so good. I don't know if you how much you are into organic eating, trying to keep your your diet healthy, but the elk is uh, it's it's amazing. Oh, I love elk meat. Yeah, it's yeah. You won't uh, white tail is. So I need to eat quality <laughs> meat, or I'm in trouble. So you are. What's that again? You're a. I'm a meatitarian. I like to say. Gotcha. So you, I, I tried that. Well, and I joke about it. I I eat vegetables. They're just not my favorite. So. Oh, so you're the other. So you're like Bridger. You're meat potato girl. <laughs> fruit. I love fruit, but. <laughs> I don't think you even eat fruit, do you? Very rarely. Yeah, I mean, I like and I've fruit, never seen you anything green. Well, you had Brussels sprouts the other night for the first time. First what? time, and no, I like I like vegetables and stuff, bro. <laughs> They're fine. I I mean, if somebody sets down a plate of Brussels sprouts and sets down a ribeye, I mean, it's pretty clear which one I'm going to eat. <laughs> yeah, and and also he eats Brussels it like in about sprouts. yeah, br- no, and then he does it in what, Jason? Thirty seconds or yeah, something? Yeah, me too. I have a, I'm I just if, I hey, no, we're just don't let Scott talk trash, okay? We're just efficient. We got other crap to do. Okay. 
No, you I eat way too fast. Scott's Bridger Deaton oh is ridiculous. God, Scott's the only one on the outs here because I grew up in the military, and if I wasn't done in 30 seconds, then you're getting left out or not well finishing your food. Yeah, yeah, that's how my family was. Crystal's a busy gal. She's got stuff to do. I got stuff to do, but now we got more time to do it. Exactly. So, well, see, here's the sad part, though. <laughs> I go eat dinner with this guy a lot, and we go to sit down and enjoy a nice dinner in the evenings. We're on a, like a date. <laughs> and we went on a date. We went on a date the other night. night. <laughs> and it's hilarious because I mean, literally, I am in like my fourth bite, and I look over, and his is almost gone. So then I'm sitting there thinking, "Holy crap! I gotta hurry up," you know, because he's gonna be sitting here bored on his phone. And it is unbelievable how fast this guy eats. It is. Do what my coworker does. What's that? He lines us up in the order that we eat when we go out for lunches. <laughs> so, oh, so you just get your food last. Food first. And yeah. Fast that's yeah. smart. Hey, that is really smart. I'm gonna start doing that. I'm ordering you. Like just tell him to bring my five food out like afterwards. Ten minutes later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I feel exactly. like a retard. Yeah, because he definitely he inhales his food. He's efficient, as he calls it. That's awesome. Um, well, I don't have any other questions. Jason, you got anything else you want to run by her? No, I'm good. How about you, Bridge? No, I'm good. No, I think so. Well, it, I have a I have a, a sad plug if, if if you guys don't mind. No, um, heck my no. Son makes arrow coolers. Jason knows all. We about got them. Yeah, we saw them here in the store. We sell them in the store. Let them know how awesome they are. No, for real, folks. No, this is no crap. I'm not saying this because Chris was on the phone. I mean, on the phone with us. Um, Jason got brought one back. I think last year, Jason after a, one of those big tournaments somewhere. Yeah, Gator Cup. Gator Cup. It was. And you know how many different arrow pullers have we had in the shop in the a last ton. two years? Yeah, we've had. We've tried them all, and none of them are worth two cents, honestly. And then Jason brought back this one that you designed and made, and I was like, oh my god, we got to get these. I mean, well, it's the only one that works when it's still when it's wet and wet, dusty, or like if you get excess arrow well, lube on them. The other big thing is is it's lightweight. So for you archers out there, you you remember carrying these big rubber things that got handles on them and they weigh like two pounds. Yeah, you can put this in your pocket. You can literally put this in your pocket. She makes the I think the simplest but yet most effective arrow puller. We do carry them here at Leading Edge. And if I'm not mistaken, Crystal, you sell these online. I'm I'm assuming. Yeah, or at tournaments, I usually have. She's usually got a whole stack, yeah. So you just don't pick your color. Right. You know, there's limited colors at each tournament. So. Gotcha. But yeah. no, those arrow pullers are amazing. We highly, highly, highly recommend them. I think most of our shooters now have those. Matter of fact, I think we're down to like two or three. We may have to talk afterwards, Crystal, and get some more in order. Um, but yeah, they're amazing. Um, definitely take a look at them. She's done a heck of a job with that. Part of your uh, entrepreneurial oh, spirit. It's all, it's all my husband. It's on your husband? Okay. I can't well. take credit for that. So for real? Thanks, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Crystal, if people want to get a hold of you, um, what are your, your social media tags or your website? And do you mind that, I guess, is another question. Oh, no, I don't mind at all. Um, my website is just my name, crystalgauvin.com. Um, I have a blog. I haven't updated it in a while because I kind of got tired of writing because that's my job. I now have to write a weekly report. So that's a a little too much writing for me to add to the blog, but um, I keep up to date with other stuff on my website. I have the shop link on there, and then um, Twitter and Instagram, I'm at CJG underscore X10, and I'm on Facebook. Um, I have a fan page. You can look up by my name, or I think it might actually be the same at thing instead of an ad it's a slash on facebook i'm old so i don't really know all these things oh i'm the same way <laughs> I, 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 I i i'm glad i got these two sitting next to me they're really good at that stuff yeah the kids help me out with yeah. this I'm, I'm 
told I have to do more of these story things on Instagram, so I'm working on that. So bear with me, people. Yeah, I'll um, tell you. I told Bridger the same thing. He's got to up, up his uh, Instagram, I've, Facebook. I've done like game. three stories in my entire life. Yeah, it's pretty bad. We're going to work on that. Um, so, uh, you know, in in regards to that, Crystal, I mean, when you're shooting at a tournament, and I got a chance to see you at Outdoor Nationals, you actually shot against one of my shooters, which was she was starstruck beyond belief when she had to shoot against you first round. Um, the, are you, do you, I mean, I hate to put you on the spot with this one, but I mean, from an approachability standpoint, when you're at a major tournament, I mean, how do you feel about some of the young folks coming up and maybe, you know, asking you questions about different things? I mean, is that something you welcome and embrace or would you rather us do that after, you know, everything's done and over with, you know, through social media or other avenues? No, generally I'm, I'm fine at tournaments. So I'm very much, I have to switch on and off when I step on and off the line. So right. I can't stay on for four hours. I just doesn't work for me. So right. unless I'm like physically on the shooting line or, you know, I'm hooked into my bow about to step on the shooting line. Um, other than that, like walking even between ends back and forth to the target, um, when I'm sitting, you know, the two minutes between or four minutes between whichever <clears throat> it is, um, totally no problem. I enjoy talking to people and, it makes the time go go better because if I have to just sit there and think about my shooting, forget it. Like, I might <laughs> back it up and go home because my day's gonna be miserable. Yeah, gotcha. You know, and I, I wanted to make sure and share that with some of our listeners, especially the young people that are, that attend these events, because I think sometimes they get the impression, oh my gosh, it's Crystal, she's a pro, I can't bother her, I'm, I'm and you know, they don't want to be intrusive, and I, I respect that they respect that. But exactly. on, but on the flip side of it, I think it's kind of awesome that if you know that it, if it's something that even helps you distract yourself from the, the task that is at hand, because you and I are the same way. I will talk my ear off in between shooting, um, because it keeps me f- you know from being so OCD focused that I wind up overthinking things. But yeah, I think it's awesome <clears throat> that you are willing to share your time and your expertise because I'm gonna tell you these kids it goes miles. I mean, uh, they. You know, you guys are superstars in their eye, in their eyes, and I think it's we are one of the few sports that we get a chance to to do that with our professionals, and that's awesome. So I I applaud you and thank you for that. I think it's dynamite. And if you all don't follow her, if you you know if you don't and if you don't haven't heard, go Google it, look her up. This 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 lady's a a top talent in our sport, and being able to chance to get to have a chance to talk to her on both sides, compound recurve is a very odd one because honestly does anyone else do it besides brady brady i know dabbles in compound bridge but that's yeah but that was, he shoots asa every once in a while yeah. but he's he hasn't shot compound full competitively since like 2000 so it, crystal probably maybe the only one has anyone else done it recent history anyways no, mary um mary ham mary ham's done it so she, she was she actually i think was it maybe she had she had went through the process of olympic trials and then went back to compound and kind of retired again because yeah. she was never around when I shot compound and then she actually came back um, that was a, a year ago maybe or I yeah. thought it was nationals that was like one of the first times I had seen her shoot uh, in a number of years like so shoot it all about a year season and then she actually didn't come to trials or anything so I'm not sure right but you are but arguably the one that's done both at an extremely high level correct hang your hat on that one that's a good one because I think you're right. I think that she I'll say did. it's correct because yeah, it is. Exactly. I mean, there's nobody, at least at, at your level, I don't think so. No, 
Yeah. So that's that's amazing, and that props to you and uh, the amount of work you put in. You sound like you are one heck of a hard worker. So, um, thank you so much, Chris, for taking uh, taking some time out of your day to join us and uh, share with us your experiences. I think that uh, our listeners are going to love it, especially our young people. They're the ones that are excited about it, and um, keep doing what you're doing, working your tail off. Good luck this year and your trials and your trying to get to the to the Olympics. I uh, I hope wish you all the best. Um, we'll look forward to seeing you out on the trail this year with Jason and Bridge. And um, if you, nobody else has anything else, we're good to go. No. Well, thank, thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you for, for joining us. Uh, safe travels and good luck out in Neem. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, take care. See ya. Bye. Dude, that's pretty cool. She is dabbled on both sides at a high yeah. level. I think it's pretty other than Other than Brady, she's the only one I think that's – Especially, I mean, recent history that yeah. has had a fair amount of success. In I bet she is a freaking animal from a competitive standpoint, it sounds like, listening to her. That's insane. Yeah. Like, insane and competitive. Yeah. I don't. I mean, you and I had kind of talked about it when we were yeah. riding back from uh, watching a football game the other night. Yeah. Uh, I mean, her being a high-level athlete before, I think, played a big role in – the amount of success that she's had right shooting in both so yeah. i mean just being able to to understand her body from a physicality standpoint to know what works and doesn't work and be able to work through that a lot faster right. than some people that you know don't have that type of knowledge i want to take her out coming so bad <laughs> i bet she is a beast she probably beat your ass on the she mountain. probably would kill me <laughs> honestly i mean she just i i i so admire people like her who are not afraid of the work, who will put in the work. And I just sit here envisioning her on the mountain, just never stopping, just humping. You know, hey, Crystal, we got to go. We got 800 yards to cover in the next 15 minutes. And bam, she's gone. Just hold my beer, <laughs> as Jason says all the time. So that is cool. She's she's a cool person. I'm glad we got a chance to have her on. Um a second guest, we're going. I think we got a bunch of cool ones coming up. I know we've talked about it every podcast, but we've got a whole list of people coming on, coming on board. I think you guys are going to be excited to hear from. Anyways, uh, thanks a lot for listening. If you guys got any questions, as always, make sure and pop them into our pages: uh, Facebook, Instagram. Are we going to do a page for this thing too? No, I think we're gonna we're gonna keep it all. Just keep it all. We got really as the as the as our normal shop page, so at Leading Edge Archery okay. on Instagram, and then it's just Leading Edge Archery on Facebook. On Facebook, yeah. Just private message, or, I mean, if there's a post there about the podcast, or really any post, uh, just just leave a comment. I mean, Scott and Cody, our other owner, and myself, all have access to that page, so we're all going to see it, yeah. regardless of what it is or where you guys put it. Right, so ideas that are coming out um, that you guys have that you want to listen to, you know, we've, we've got access to some great people that we can get into the technical stuff pretty darn deep. Um, if that's what you all choose to hear um, from a listening standpoint. But other than that, thank you. Um, we appreciate you. We're growing by leaps and bounds, and we're excited for what the future is holding for us and, and this podcast, and hopefully we're going to keep uh, giving you good content that you like listening to. So Absolutely. And also, one more thing. We've got some really big things coming up travel-wise, and I think we're going to maybe try to do a podcast in Vegas at the Vegas shoot if we can. If we can, we're gonna try and. I'm trying to get Jason to come with because he's a hell of a lot better at the sound at the computer. Yeah. If you and I had I to am. do this, it's gonna be really bad. <laughs> I will say now we'll we'll apologize for the audio. I guess we'll have to start working on teaching you guys how to do That's this. That's not happening. I got enough to think about already. So 
on the I don't want to do sound. <laughs> but uh, no, we've got and we're gonna do some of those things. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be and the, our tournament season is really really starting to ramp up this month. This is it. Yeah, I'll be. I mean, the end of January is Lancaster, followed by the Texas A and M indoor uh, indoor nationals. leg of the indoor nationals for USA Archery. Yeah. And then a week after that is Vegas. Yeah, and then two weeks after that is Foley, mm-hmm. and it's just gonna be a this whirlwind. It's a wild time of year. Wild yeah. time of year. Yeah. So we're excited, and um, we're gonna be following this guy Bridger on his. World Wind Tour is professional this year. It's going to be awesome. And then, uh, like I said, we're just bringing you guys a lot of good content about what's happening behind the scenes. Yeah, I think that's going to be interesting. You know, when we go out there to the uh, to the U.S. qualifiers, we'll definitely be hitting some people up there and doing some. Yeah. Yeah, well, Jason, and you there. you are going to be in Mexico in what we just talked about this this morning. Yeah, at the end weeks. of uh, the end of March. The end of March, March twenty second through the thirtieth, uh, we got the uh, Pan American Championships and Parapan uh, Continental Qualifiers. So I'm gonna go out there and try and get that slot for uh, for Tokyo. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. So we got a lot of work to do in the next we eight do. to ten weeks. Yeah, you know we've be been crazy. talking about uh we've been talking about Krista and all the hard work she's been doing, and I think it's time for me to get to uh to do some of that hard work. Now. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, the, for those who don't know, Jason's been working his tail off in the gym. He's had a physical issue. We've been working through and getting him back to square one um, from a strength standpoint. And I think we're there. So now just getting this guy ready for. Mexico is going to be fun and a daunting task for sure. But other than that, thank you again for listening. We'll keep us posted on what you want to hear. And until then, until the next episode, talk to you all later.